Hello, and welcome to another episode of Self-Care for Living. I'm your host, Haley, and this is the podcast where we use actionable self-care to build a life worth living. This is episode two, and today I'll be talking about principles to help guide your self-care practice to help you build a practice that is both nourishing and fulfilling, but most importantly, a practice that is sustainable. The principles I'm going to share with you today are things to consider and things to ponder as you move forward that can help you find more satisfaction and fulfillment in the way that you practice self-care. So I just like to emphasize that you don't have to necessarily follow all of these. As I said, they're principles and I really highly recommend that you take what is going to work for you and leave the rest. There are 12 principles that I'm going to share with you today, so lots to pick and choose from, uh, but I think that all of them can help support your thinking or at least motivate you to consider the ways that you practice your self-care. There are two main areas of principles that I'm going to share with you today. The first are principles for your self-care journey. So this is all about the way that, that you practice and the kind of things that you do in your practice. The second is going to be principles for your approach to self-care. So these are more about your mindset and the way that you think about self-care that can support your practice overall. We'll jump right in with the first principle to to talk about your self-care journey, which is to make self-care work for you. The reason why I included this is because I see so much advice online about self-care that recommends a specific way of doing things that is almost like a prescription for everyone. And I find that a little ridiculous because there's no one way of doing things that's going to work for everyone. And it's it's not possible, that there would be. We're all different people with their own unique lives. So an example of what I often see online are people saying, you know, you need to wake up at five in the morning and start your self-care bright and early before everyone else is awake and lead your day with with a kind of self-care practice. Five in the morning is really early, you guys. It's so early. If you're not already waking up at that time, you might and you might be waking up around like eight, trying to wake up three hours before you usually do is painful. It's really (laughs) not an enjoyable experience for a lot of people. I have definitely been that person where I've woken up at 5.30 in the morning and started my self-care journey, but now I wake up at a comfortable seven and that's what works for me. You absolutely don't need to be waking up super early in the morning to start your self-care and you can have a really fulfilling morning routine without waking up at five. So that's that's what I mean when I say, you know, make self-care work for you because ultimately it has to be tailored to your life in order for it to be sustainable. I know that there were only so many days in a row that I could wake up at five in the morning before I started to feel exhausted and sleep deprived. So if you're trying to adhere to some practices that you've maybe seen online or that you've heard from others and they're just not working for you, maybe that's a sign to to drop those practices and to find something else that actually can work for you and is well suited for your life. Related to this principle are choosing things to practice in self-care that light you up and bring you joy. 
if waking up at five in the morning or waking up at seven in the morning even doesn't contribute to your overall well-being and you're just doing it for the sake of doing it because you think it's going to contribute to your well-being, you might have a rough go of it. I wake up at seven in the morning because I really like to watch the sunrise. I love hearing the birds in the morning and I like having a few hours to myself before I feel the need to interact with other people and get on someone else's schedule. So if my workday starts at nine in the morning, I I need to have those two hours of practicing self-care so that I can be grounded when I start my workday. And that's what I find joyful and really fulfilling. But my practice might not work for you and it's totally okay if it doesn't, but there might be something else that does work for you that could fill you with joy because ultimately What we're trying to do with this self-care practice is not only increase our feelings of self-love and to take care of ourselves, but foster more joy and well-being in our lives. And if your self-care practices aren't doing that, then they're probably not the self-care practices for you. Something I found from an article from Wise Hershey Gibson in 2012 suggested that you need to integrate self-care into your life rather than adding it on top of your busy schedule because that's the kind of self-care that ultimately is going to be sustainable. And I find this I find this advice really really good because I have been in a position before where working full-time, I was doing all kinds of self-care practices in the morning and at night and I felt like I felt like self-care was another full-time job that I had to do rather than me just living my life in a way that is caring for myself. And that can be really hard because, well, I don't know about how other people might feel, but I started to almost resent the practices that I was that I was doing as self-care because I found that they were impeding me living my life and preventing me from doing the things that I, I enjoyed when self-care really should be adding to your life in a positive and sustainable way and it should be integrated into the way that you live your life so that you can maintain the self-care practices. So for example, I mentioned in the last episode that I I no longer will go to the gym instead of hanging out with friends because I'm not interested in just checking off a box every single day saying, yep, I did my self-care practices and missing out on really joyful experiences in life just so that I can check off that box. But that wasn't that wasn't always the way that I lived. There were absolutely times when I was going to the gym seven days a week and sacrificing a lot of other things in my life in order to work out and to be in the gym. And ultimately, not only was that really exhausting, it wasn't sustainable, but I was also missing out on the experiences that would have made me feel like I was living an enjoyable life. So not ultimately not really compatible with self-care. The next principle is to do one good thing for yourself every day. And the reason why I say one good thing is because, well, for those of us who have mental illness, sometimes it's really, really hard to get out of bed, get dressed, brush your teeth, eat something good for yourself. It's It can be so challenging to muster up the energy and the executive functioning and planning in order to carry out the necessary steps for doing things that are good and productive for us. But if you focus on just doing one good thing, you can count the day as a win for yourself. I love this practice because I think it takes a lot of pressure off of ourselves when when we think about a to-do list for self-care. 
I've certainly been really intimidated before when I've been knee deep in my depressive episodes and I make this self-defeating strategy of having this really long to-do list of self-care practices that I need to get done that day. I find it so much more fulfilling to pick one thing that's going to be really nourishing and satisfying for me and make it what's called a a non-zero day is, is the term that I've heard people say before. So the whole concept of this principle is that every day you are somehow doing something that is improving your well-being, improving your self-care, and making sure that there is no day where you're not doing something that is good for yourself and your well-being. Some days for me, that's getting up and getting dressed. Other days for me, that one thing is, you know, like cleaning my entire apartment. And that may have a lot of little steps, but sometimes that is the one thing that I have the energy for. It really varies, and I think it's a really kind way of considering how much energy you have for the day. Because, you know, sometimes we wake up with a lot of energy to be able to do the things that we need to do. And other days it's like, you've just been hit with a truck of (laughs) lack of energy. So this kind of principle is really kind to ourselves and recognizes that we may not always have the strength and the energy to do every single thing on our list, but there is at least something we can do that is going to be beneficial for ourselves. The next principle is to let good enough be enough. I have struggled with perfectionism for a lot of my life. And for me, that means that a lot of things I view as being all or nothing. So I will get down on myself if I don't do all of the dishes, for example, even if I don't have the energy to do that. So what this principle is calling for us to do and asking us to consider is what what self-care practice is going to be enough and what's enough in that self-care practice for us to gain the benefits from it. So for example, when I'm talking about the dishes, I don't need to do every single dirty dish that I have in my house for me to get the benefits of doing the dishes. Really, I need to do enough dishes so that my sink is clean, so that I have clean dishes for the next meal that I'm going to make for myself. And so that I can, you know, do something good for me, like making a home cooked meal instead of ordering out. But it isn't necessary for me to do all of the dishes every single time that I do them. That's what I mean when I say let good enough be enough. Because if we're constantly stretching ourselves to achieve everything, we're not actually acting, I think, in a self loving and self caring way. Because if you remember from last episode, our self-care practice isn't about being productive. It's about doing things that are nourishing, fulfilling, satisfying, and intentional. I know it can be really hard to figure out though where where the line is, like what, what counts as enough. And I think this takes practice. I think it takes knowing yourself well. And uh, I think it also takes some inward reflection inward reflection specifically about where our resistances might lie. Like I know, for example, I have, I have a desire to cut doing the dishes short because I find doing the dishes really gross. I just can't get over the sensory experience of doing the dishes. Like <laughs> it's a, I, I go a little bit over the top. I, uh, 
I wear gloves <laughs> and I have this little dish wand so that, you know, even though I'm wearing gloves, I'm not feeling the dishes or any of the dirty food that might still be on the plates or, or the dishes. It's just, uh, it's a little too much for me. And sometimes I'm aware that because I find doing the dishes gross, I will stop sooner than I should have, uh, sooner than would have been good for me to continue doing. Like I have a lot of resistance to that task. So I think that you need to have a, a bit of a balanced approach. You know, don't do more than the energy that you have for that day, but also notice when you're maybe ending earlier than would actually be good for you. Sometimes it is worth it to just push through doing that last dish just so I can have a clean sink, a clean counter, and know that I don't have to return to that task in the next day. And still, I try to keep in mind that doing enough dishes is enough. The next principle is to shape your environment for better self-care, which for me means setting aside time in my schedule for self-care. So I have unstructured Saturdays and self-care Sundays. The reason I have two days that I devote to self-care and really wildly different forms of self-care are because I find that uh, it can be it can be a little challenging to practice self-care after the workday. Uh, so I can't do all of my self-care things from Monday to Friday. I need time to rest and replenish and restore my energy before I can get to some of my self-care tasks. So I have unstructured Saturdays because I release myself from any and all obligations, schedules, to-do lists, routines, uh, unstructured Saturdays are really just time for me to relax and do whatever comes to mind, for me to go with the flow and be sometimes impulsive and spontaneous in what I decide to do for the day. And I always let that be okay. We need that time, I think, for rest and for letting our, our brains relax and to get off the hamster wheel in order for us to feel replenished, or at least that's the case for me. Self-care Sundays, on the other hand, are a bit more structured, and that's where I, I kind of push all of my self-care tasks that I didn't get to during the week. I push them to Sundays, and I've, I've made a promise to myself that Sundays will always be for self-care, and that Sundays are the days that I do all of the harder stuff. So it really helps me to know that I'm going to have a day where I'm going to do all of the hard stuff like cleaning my house or doing the dishes because it helps me be a little bit less resistant to them. And I think the reason for that is because it almost takes the responsibility of it off the other days. You know, if I have a task that I'm really resistant to, I don't have to worry about it Monday through Saturday. I know that there's just going to be one day that I've set aside to do it and that works for me. I also think it's really important to have a dedicated day for self-care because even if you did absolutely no self-care throughout the rest of the week, you always have this spot in your schedule and in your time that you can do these activities that are really nourishing for you. Setting up your environment for self-care I think also means thinking about the people in your life that contribute to your well-being, the environment that you have. So. You know, for me, cleaning my space is really big. Um, and when it comes to people, I really want to make sure that I have people in my life who are as interested in self-care as I am and who are, uh, you know, maybe not people who are complaining a lot because I think that that can get me down. 
it's really important for me to have people in my life that are on a similar journey of improving their lives and focusing on their well-being because I, I find that inspiring and I think the friends that I have who are on a similar path or who are on a similar path find that inspiring as well. We really help each other when we talk about self-care and mental health and well-being because you know we share ideas. It's so good to know that someone else is going through the journey and the same pathways that you, you are. The next principle is to set a goal for yourself. There's a lot of research that suggests that when we set a goal for ourselves, when we're trying to achieve something, we are more likely to achieve it because we have something that's concrete and actionable to work towards. So I really encourage you to write down what your self-care goal is or what goal you have for improving your wellness. Um, To me, for example, I'm trying to cultivate more self-compassion and self-love. And that's that's my primary goal. I do have other self-care practices that I, I have that don't necessarily specifically meet that goal, like, you know, walking or doing my dishes. So the way that I integrate that goal into my self-care practice is through my approach and how I speak to myself when I'm doing self-care practices and when I'm just living my life. Having a goal gives you something that you can work towards. But it is important to remember that self-care and and progress isn't always linear. And it also isn't always upwards or in a, in a positive direction. I've definitely had some experiences that were not so great that ultimately did help me on my self-care journey because they revealed some things that I still needed to work on. Um, and it's totally okay if you're not constantly moving in an upward direction. I think that the expectation that we might always be moving upwards or always be moving forwards, again, comes from this mindset of everything needed to be productive and needing to be for some external gain when life isn't isn't really like that. We all have cycles and seasons of birth, rebirth, growth, endings, and it's good to embrace that and to release ourselves from the expectation that every single day is going to be full of accomplishments and full of things to congratulate ourselves for. Because there's so many things that are unexpected in life that can come up and that can interrupt our self-care process. It's important to just recognize that our progress won't always be linear and that is perfectly okay. What's more important than the direction of our progress is that we remain committed to our goals and we remain committed to trying and trying again even when we fail. And the next principle kind of related to that is to celebrate the wins. So as I mentioned earlier, I really, I really absolutely detest doing the dishes. But every time I do the dishes, I take time to thank myself and feel gratitude for the act of self-care that I just engaged in. I also take time to recognize gratitude every time I need a dish and it's clean because this act of self-care is, you know, it's, it's foundational. It helps me do other things. It helps me engage in other acts of self-care, like cooking for myself and and cooking a nourishing meal instead of ordering out. And when I celebrate the act of self-care, instead of punishing myself for needing the self-care in the first place, my sense of loving myself and my sense of well-being increase. Those are all the principles that I have for the journey itself and, and what you can practice practically in, in your self-care journey. 
I'll move on now to different things about your approach to self-care that might be helpful. The first one being to get curious about resistances and complaints. Oh, this one is a tough one. I won't lie to you. It can be, first of all, a little challenging to recognize and it can be a little uncomfy (laughs) when you do recognize it. So what I mean by getting curious is to notice why, well, first of all, notice when you might be resisting an act of self-care or resisting engaging in self-care and then getting curious about why that's happening. Because, you know, I really don't believe that there's something so easy as like, if you're not engaging in self-care, then you're just lazy or unmotivated. There's always something else underneath the surface that might be blocking you from doing self-care. So for example, I've recently been struggling with going out for walks consistently. And when I take the time to to look at what's going on beneath the surface, I find, first of all, a lot of anxiety about being out around people still. Um, you know, the pandemic isn't quite over. And even though I am fully vaccinated, I it's so hard to shake the practices that I've been engaging in for the past year to keep myself safe. So, so that's the first thing. There's a lot of anxiety and feelings of not being safe. When I look a little bit deeper, I also notice that I feel self-conscious about my body and the way that it looks and other people looking at my body while I'm outside exercising. So the resistances that I'm feeling about going out for walking aren't because I don't like walking. I actually really love walking and I have to say it's probably my absolute favorite self-care activity, especially because I get to listen to podcasts or audiobooks or music whenever I'm outside walking or you know, if I'm taking a mindful walk, then I can listen to all of the wonderful sounds, like the sounds of the birds when I'm outside. But I have noticed that there are some other things going on beneath the surface that are preventing me from going outside for a walk that aren't just, I'm not feeling like it, or I don't want to do this. And what's really interesting about getting curious about your resistances is that when you expose or reveal the real reason why you don't want to do something, you you can almost give yourself the kind of love that you need for that experience in the moment. So for example, when I'm thinking about feeling self-conscious about my body, I know that that's, that's an indication for me that I need a little bit more self-compassion and a little bit more kindness to myself about the way that my body looks and the way that I feel about it. It's also an opportunity for me to remind myself that uh, everyone has a body, everyone's body is different. And me having a body is not a reason to not engage in the pleasures and the wonderful things that come with having a body, like being able to walk outside in nature. If you're having a really hard time with this, I really recommend journaling and something that you might find helpful uh, to journal about first, maybe writing down what your self-care practices are and then reflecting on which ones you sometimes feel a block about and then asking yourself, what are the surface reasons for me not wanting to engage in this and what else is going on? 
because often there there really is something else that's happening um, that's contributing to us not wanting to engage in self-care. You know, of course, it could also be that you just don't like the self-care practice. And if you're getting curious about your self-care practices, even that information that you just don't like something is really helpful and is really beneficial for reframing and retooling and reconsidering the kind of self-care that you're engaging in. The next principle is to practice self-compassion over self-judgment. I highly encourage you to release all judgment of yourself when practicing self-care because it has no place in the world of well-being. You may be familiar with the work of Dr. Kristen Neff, who is the one of the primary researchers on self-compassion, and her book, Self-Compassion, is phenomenal. I'm listening to an audiobook of it when I'm going out for my walks right now, and it's it's so incredible. There are so many good quotes there. The essence of self-compassion is that we offer ourselves the kindness that we would give to close friends and loved ones. The reason this is important is because so many of us have this inner critic or this inner voice that is so critical of us and that says things to us that we would never dream of telling our friends. I know that I have that little judgy voice who comes out sometimes and, uh, it's it's hard. It's hard to deal with because, you know, that's that's you, but not you, right? Like, it's your voice, but really the the judgment and the criticisms and the harshness come from these ideas that we have adopted about ourselves, based on the experiences that we've had in life or the judgments that have been placed on us by other people. If you, for example, take take a piece of criticism that you tell yourself, you might be able to trace it back to your childhood or some kind of experience that you had with a friend or a partner or at work that has just stuck with you and has become an area that is like a sore spot, some source of, of tension and sadness and anger. And uh, it's challenging because it's not easy to to shake those judgments, but repeating them to ourselves is like constantly going over and over and over the same wound. So what's really important here in your self-care practice is to, first of all, be aware of the ways that you might criticize and judge yourself and to, as much as possible, try to release them. It's okay if you still experience the criticisms and self-judgment. What I recommend is that you apply self-compassion as soon as possible. So what Kristen Neff recommends, or sorry, what Dr. Neff recommends is saying, I love and accept myself when you notice that critical voice coming up. And what I often do then after I recognize self-criticism and self-judgment is say something kind to myself that I would say to a friend. You know, If for example, I heard a friend saying something like that about themselves, what would I say to them? And then I offer that kindness to myself. You are absolutely deserving and worthy of kindness and of giving yourself kindness and self-compassion and self-love. The next principle is to look inward for guidance and resonance. You are going to be the best teacher and the best guide on your self-care journey because first of all, you know what you need. You know what is and isn't working in your life. And you know what practices and principles you do and do not enjoy. 
it can be sometimes challenging for those of us who have uh, lived with critical voices and judgmental voices of others to find that self-guidance. But your self-care practice is a really great place to explore that if it's something you have trouble with, you know, trusting yourself and trusting your own intuition and trusting your internal guidance. Because self-care is for you and it's all about you and usually something that's that's done on your own, right? Like it could just be me though. I mean, maybe you have a, a walking companion that that you go outside with that and that's part of your self-care, you know, fulfilling both your social and your exercise needs. But because self-care is for us and it's about us, we can tap into a bit more of our own guidance and our, our own intuition about what does and doesn't work for us. And I find that through practicing self-care, we can become almost more confident in not only our abilities, but in, in ourselves. And I think part of this is because we're probably going to be improving our self-compassion and self-acceptance as we practice self-care. But it also improves our self-love. And when you love yourself, isn't it easier to trust yourself and to you know, follow your own advice, follow your own guidance, follow your own internal wisdom? I really like to imagine having conversations with my higher self or my future self when I'm stuck or lost. And I find this practice so, so wonderful because if you think about it, your higher self or your future self that you might be having a conversation with is like this version of you that you've imagined that is a, a better version. And I say that in quotes because, you know, we're not necessarily trying to change anything about ourselves through the practice of self-care except improving our self-love. But it's this version of you that you imagine as being beyond the struggles that you might be experiencing right now. And the beautiful gift of imagining speaking to your future self or your higher self is that it's a version of you that you are imagining that you're currently experiencing in the present, which to me makes me think it's a version of you that exists already right here in the now. And if you can just lean into that experience more, lean into that version of yourself more, I think you can begin to trust yourself more and begin to rely on your own internal guidance. The next principle is to cultivate your awareness of your limiting beliefs. I think there are a lot of beliefs that we can have about life and about ourselves and about the world that make it difficult to practice self-care. One thing might be that you don't deserve self-care. You don't think you don't deserve self-care. Uh, there might also be a belief that you have that you can't get better, that nothing works for you, that nothing has worked for you and nothing will work for you. And those are limiting beliefs. So what I mean by limiting beliefs, again, are just the ideas that we have about the world that prevent or obstruct us from working and practicing self-care in the best way possible for ourselves. There's a really great exercise that you can try for understanding your, your beliefs, which is to first write down all of the things that you think about yourself and then write down, you know, identify which ones are maybe not so, not so positive and identify where those beliefs come from. You know, thinking about past experiences that you may have had, things that other people have said to you, because 
you know, you might start to notice that a lot of the negative beliefs that you have don't come from yourself, or if they do come from inside, they might actually be a reflection of what you've seen demonstrated to you externally. So for example, as a perfectionist, I find that, um, you know, I have this limiting belief of thinking that everything needs to be perfect or it's not worth doing, or if I'm not perfect, then I'm not worthy of love. And that is a really that is a really big limiting belief that prevents me from engaging in self-care because as I mentioned earlier in the episode, I have this really strong all or nothing view of the world where if I can't do something perfectly, then it's it's not worth doing. And if I can't do all of it perfectly, then I won't do any of it. And that's a limiting belief because while perfection in this world doesn't <laughs> doesn't truly exist, um, there's there's no real perfect state that that humans can can achieve. I don't think that's just not the experience of humanity, and that's perfectly okay. There's always going to be this balance of positive and negative things, and accepting accepting that and living more in gray than the black and white has been really powerful and transformative experience for me because it lets me try things and fail and recognize that trying and failing is just part of being human. And even if I failed, I can always try again. And it's totally okay if I don't get something right on the first try or the second try or the third try. I think there's a Chinese proverb that goes something like, uh, fall seven, rise eight, which means you may fall seven times, you may fail seven times, but on the eighth try, you may rise. And thinking about things like that and recognizing this limiting belief that I have about my perfectionism and trying as much as I can to release it has been powerful for me and has been helpful in my self-care journey because it means that I can try new things in self-care that may not work. It means that when I'm practicing my painting skills, for self-care. I'm I'm less afraid of having this perfect image that comes out of it and more connected to the experience of of doing art and engaging in art and seeing what comes of it and being creative rather than trying to create this mechanical perfect image that I have in my mind. It's a lot more fulfilling and nourishing that way. And the final principle that I have to share today is to embrace change. There's a quote that I love, absolutely love, which is that discomfort is the admission price for change. I struggle with this one so much. I would not really describe myself as a person that likes change. I much prefer stability and to know what comes next. Although (laughs) honestly, that might be related to my perfectionism, you know, because if you can predict what comes next, you can create the perfect response to it. But still, I'm I'm not a person that would describe themselves as as enjoying change. I like to know what's gonna what's happening, what's gonna come, and once I have my stable environment, I I like to stay in that. And that means that I have a really hard time when something unexpected comes up in life. What self care is teaching me is that it's important to be flexible, and that it's okay to be flexible. And also that I will be okay no matter what happens. And provided I rely on my self-care and the principles that I've outlined here, I can get through, I can get through any experience. What this might mean for you and your self-care practice is that 
you know, like me, you might be afraid of change and you might need to practice a bit more of this acceptance of change in your life to help you use self-care to get through the, the changes. But what it also means is that, you know, like what I mentioned in the last episode, your self-care practice is going to change you and you're going to change your self-care practice as you change. And if we don't accept that things are going to change, then we risk evolving or not evolving rather to the next version of ourselves, to the next stage of life. It seems sad to me that I might sacrifice moving forward in life in a way that's going to benefit me because I'm more concerned about staying in a stable environment. As I said, discomfort is the admission price for change and we have to accept that things are gonna be a little uncomfortable while we're first diving into the unknown and while we're diving into some new experience. But what's on the other side of that is often so, so worthwhile. And when it comes to your self-care practice, what I hope what I hope you take from this is that it's okay to try new things and it's okay to try self-care and it's okay to dive into something you've never done before. And ultimately, I think a practice of self-care can be like a safe, a safe place to land when we're going through change because if nothing else in your life is stable, at least your self-care might be. That's everything I have for today. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Self-Care for Living. I know how much your time is valuable, so I really appreciate you sitting here with me for the past 40 minutes. As always, you can catch the episode notes on our website, selfcareforliving.com, and you can find more news and information about the podcast on our Facebook and Instagram pages at Self-Care for Living. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today as we use self-care to build a life worth living.